When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. The sport is just going to die if they don't break the designated hitter to the National League. We got fresh frozen <laughs> strawberry margaritas, and Terry's bringing us chips and salsa all night long. Nick's hips do not lie. <laughs> yeah, I got a MF wagon. Like, <laughs> let's be real. <laughs> the Washington Nationals are the world champions. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Half Street High Heat. You can find them wherever your podcasts are downloaded or sold. With me, as always, is Ray Knight. Uh, Johnny, I think this is going to be a great episode. I do. They're going to talk baseball, Johnny, and the baseball is the reason they talk and what they talk about. I think that's important to talk about baseball. And if you're a baseball podcast, you're going to end up talking lots of baseball. Well, that's awesome. Thank you very much, Johnny and Ray. Bob Carpenter with you here. And now let's start the show. What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 135 of Half Street High Heat, presented by Manscaped. I am Nick. You can follow me on Twitter at Nationals East. I'm joined by my co-host, as always, Ryan. You can follow him at we at, at we are all Shack and Amanda at a white seven eight seven seven. Be sure to check out our website at halfstreethighheat.com. Go to Manscape user promo code HSHH twenty. Guys, how you doing today? Doing great. Better than the Nationals. That's for sure. And uh, <laughs> doing better than the Braves, too. But we'll get that to that in, yes. in, in a minute. Ryan, how you doing? Um, I completely missed unmute four times right there. So <laughs> I mean, th- that's like Victor Robles, you know, missing pitches right down the middle four times in a row. So I was like, come on. <laughs> high leverage. Yeah, can't perform in high leverage situations. We call that pulling a Victor Robles. I mean, we are just conforming to our team's, you know, tendencies. <laughs> this is just true, true Nats fan uh, fandom at its finest. Uh, but speaking of the Nats, we'll get into our quick pitch right here. Uh, the Braves, NL East rival, the NL East winner, it seems, for the past decade. It hasn't been that long, but it feels like it. They are completely different than what we expect. The latest news, Ronald Acuna suffered a major injury. It is confirmed he has torn his ACL. He's out for the rest of the season and probably into next season, which completely changes the landscape of the NL East. So basically our quick quick pitch today is... What's the fallout from this? How does this change this season's NLEs? How does it change the Nats strategy going forward? So this has pretty big effect um, on a lot of things. The Braves actually just sent a prospect to the Chicago White Sox. So now the joke on MLB Twitter is that Adam Eaton is going to Atlanta. Mm-hmm. But the Braves, you know, they've been hovering around 500 for a while. Their schedule is about to get easier. And everyone's like, all right, if they get healthy, you know, they're going to take off. Well, Ronald Acuna now tore his ACL. They're out Acuna. They're out um, Ozuna. Freddie Freeman is struggling. They're out Soroka. Ian Anderson now has shoulder injuries. It kind of seems like they're done, right? Their offense isn't there. The Braves may be a team that's added to the list of sellers this year. Maybe their front office knows that this is a lost season. Just try to get some guys back and go back at it next year. So 
they're not the same team right now because Ronald Acuna was putting the team on his back. They were winning a lot of games solely because of Ronald Acuna, and now he's not there. So this is maybe you know kind of one less team you have to worry about in the NL East that is ahead of you. It should not change the Nats' um, mindset or anything. It might just because that's one less team who's a legit threat. I still don't think the Phillies are a threat. Honestly, the only threat in this division is the Mets, and they're not really a threat either. They're kind of just a product of this division like everyone is right now. Um, yeah, the only sucks, and really hope Ron Cunha has a speedy recovery from his surgery. It was absolutely brutal. Um, really tough to watch. I only caught it sort of on my feed right after it happened on Twitter. And I, I hate watching injury videos like that, so I've tried to avoid it since. But, um, yeah, I mean, rivalries aside, hoping the best for him. You absolutely hate to see that happen to anybody, but especially a guy who's such a face of the face of the league. And, you know, obviously he's, he was the one carrying the Braves and the big, who the Nats need, need to beat. But I don't know. I, I still, I feel like it changes things for the Braves a lot, but I don't think it changes things for the NL East a lot because I don't think the Braves were going to be a legitimate threat to win the division anyway. Um, I still, at this point, looking at the, injuries the Nats are suffering right now unless the Mets really fall apart and the Nats really get healthy and can go on a run more like what we saw in June I don't know that the Nats are a threat for the NL East either and I'm glad you brought that up because that was going to be my next question for you you tend to be obviously the the homer of the group <laughs> I do um I'm struggling my homerism is, is it's hard right now it's hard if you're Davey Martinez Mike Rizzo anyone in charge with the Nats and you are have been trying to compete this whole season as we assume they have been now your one of your primary competitors is seemingly done for the year now you're talking about them selling at the deadline and it's seemingly a two horse race you're getting guys like Hudson and Finnegan are back straw seems to be coming back soon how does that change your your mindset in the next 2 weeks leading up to the deadline and is it enough you know, of a sample size, uh, enough games to be played to really decide. I think it depends on what your goal is. Is your goal to win the crappiest division in baseball? Because if so, you might be able to do that. But what happens after that? Does anybody see the Nats as a World Series contender? Nats do. Yeah. Well, that's and that's the thing. I am the homer of the group, obviously, and I'm usually more optimistic than this. But just watching, I if they get back, if Schwarber were to come back and Strauss were to come back and they were to go on a run... I think they could maybe, you know, get into the playoffs, maybe win a series. But I just, when you see the way they played in this stretch against the, against the Dodgers and against the Padres and against the Giants, like, does this look like a team that's, that's a legitimate contender in the postseason? I just don't really think they are. And if they're not, then we're in that, that same thing we are every year at this time. We have this conversation about are the Nats going to sell or at least – you know, retool, to use the phrase we keep using, to get some prospects and, and load up for the future a little bit? Or are they going to try to keep winning? And I think the answer is they're going to try to keep winning. And it's hard to hate that because, you know, winning baseball games is what they're supposed to do. But I, I don't know. I'd love to be wrong, a la 2019, and they go on a crazy run in the second half. But I, I, don't, I don't see that happening. I think the smart thing to do would be for them to if not become major sellers, at least at least get some pieces back that set them up for the future a little bit going into next year. I don't think that's what they'll do. Yeah, I was just thinking as you, you were saying all that, if the Nats really truly want to recapture the 2019 Magic, then we need to go full fire sale mode and claim that they need to fire Davey, trade everybody, and then that'll light the fire under their ass to, to get going. That's the only way they're going to win the World Series. So we've got jobs to do. Yeah, your people or uh, go crazy and buy and, you know, like tax, you know, the luxury tax threshold be damned. And if you really are going to make a go at this thing, then do it. But yeah, go full. Don't, uh, don't do a half assed. Let's pick up a couple of, you know, little nice pieces here and see if we can do something in the second half, because that might get you to the playoffs in this division, but it won't get you very far in the playoffs. And again, it weakens you for the future, where if you're going to try to win this year because you're like, hey, this division's wide open, let's see what we can do, then go go out and buy seriously and, and go make a real effort and have this be your last hurrah. Right. 
and I mean, they can go full Tampa Bay Lightning and just manipulate the hell out of the salary cap and, uh, you know, go back to back and win a, win a couple of titles. Before we move on, Ryan, I want to ask you a question. And we, we brought this up in, in our uh, Braves preview that we did prior to the season. And the idea of Braves reluctantly or just have not handed out massive contracts. The Cunha contract, while massive, was an absolute steal. Probably a third of what he would have gotten eventually. But you look at Freddie Freeman and obviously the state of the Braves now, which is what we're talking about. Could we see a situation that Freddie Freeman is traded, one, because the, the Braves are not legitimate contenders anymore this year with the Acuna injury, and two, they're probably never really going to pay him in the first place? It's an interesting one. You're going to start seeing conversations about that now, especially if the Braves come out of the All-Star break rough. Um, they have the Marlins, so they may not. But hey, I they beat the Dodgers. They beat the true. Dodgers. They, they did take three or four more from than the we Dodgers. Could do. <laughs> um, I don't think so, just because he's kind of like the Braves Ryan Zimmerman. Yeah, like that would just be a crushing blow to the fan base. And what's kind of been a you know crushing several years. He blew a three-one lead. You get the All-Star game taken away from you. Um, Ronald Acuna tears his ACL. Oh, by the way, you're going to trade Freddie Freeman. I think it would be absolutely hilarious. I would like to see it, but I don't think they do it. I would like, as my aforementioned Nats need to be real buyers at the deadline. Please go get Freddie Freeman. Thank you very much. <laughs> and then move Josh Bell to left field like they've been planning all along. I don't care what they do with Josh Bell if they get Freddie Freeman. <laughs> I just think it's funny that uh, Ryan just said uh, Freddie Freeman is the Braves. Ryan Zimmerman, like Freddie Freeman and Ryan Zimmerman are on the same level. I just thought that was funny. But it'll be interesting. As far as what they mean to the franchise, perhaps. Yeah, <laughs> maybe maybe that that's not even <laughs> comparable. But we'll see what the Braves do, and obviously best wishes to Ronald Acuna. But that was just one of the many, many things that went on this weekend. There was there was a lot, and, a, and a it's only it's, it's only going to get more, obviously, with the All Star break coming up and the trade de trade deadline looming only a couple weeks away. Yes, it has been a wild, wild week as things are starting to heat up because we are in the dog days of summer. Starting off with some rather scary news: four were arrested after a cache of weapons were found in a hotel near the All Star Stadium in Colorado. Um, FBI says that there is no current threat to the stadium or the All-Star game as the group's checkout date was yesterday. Concern from teams ahead of the draft is they believe that players are going to ask for record high signing bonuses as many high school players are having concern over the conditions that minor leaguers face. You also add in the fact that college players can now get name image likeness. This is going to be a pretty big talking point in the CBA of how to improve minor league conditions. In fantastic news, Shohei Otani is the first player since Albert Pujols have 33 home runs in team's first 85 games. Fernando Tatis Jr. is the youngest player in MLB history to have a 20 home run and 20 stolen base season before the All-Star break. He is the 14th ever player to do so. Unfortunately for the Padres, they added Hugh Darvish and Ryan Weathers to the 10-day IL. Um, MLB teams are 493-2, and two, when leading by four-plus runs entering the ninth inning this season. The Yankees lost both of those games. Aaron Judge covers his chest rounding third after hitting a home run versus the Astros. The Astros responded by ripping off Jose Altuve's jersey on the walk-off home run against them. The Astros are good for baseball people. Speaking of the Astros, there will be no Astros at the All-Star game, as all four of them have dropped out for several various, quote, reasons to the NL East in fifth place are the 39 and 50 Marlins. Pablo Sanchez makes history striking out, striking out the first nine batters he faced against the Braves. They dropped two, three, and now they're the Phillies after the break in fourth place are the 42 and 46 Nats. We will get to them in a second. In third place are the 44 and 45 Braves. Superstar Ronald Acuna suffered a complete tear of his ACL, as we mentioned, and he'll be out the rest of the season. The Braves injuries continue to pile up as Ian Anderson is going to have his shoulder evaluated as well. They come out out of the break against the Rays. And second are the 44 and 44 Phillies. They lost 2-3 against the Red Sox. They are experiencing COVID issues as Bohm 
Nola, Brogdon, Galter are all on the COVID list. They're one of the only teams who have not gotten to the 85% vaccinated threshold. They open up out of the break against the Marlins. In first place are the 47 and 40 Mets. They split against the Pirates, had a couple bullpen games in the process, and they're on pace to play the most double headers in one season. They have already played 10, and they still have a couple more to go. They open up against the Pirates. In your all's free time, make sure you head on over to the Half Street High Heat Twitter account and head on over to T Public to check up on all the latest gear that we're publishing. You can get yourself a very fancy Kyle Schwarber home run shirt and also get some sweet swag to represent all four of the Washington Nationals who are going to Colorado for the All-Star Game. This has been your Week in Review. Yeah, the Aaron Judge, Jose Altuve thing was hysterical. Maybe my favorite thing that happened this week. Yeah. And just overall, see, I wasn't lying. There was a ton of stuff. Yeah. Uh, the Astros are good for baseball, but it's also Ugh, laughable, so laughable that all four of them. So it was what Altuve, Correa. Um, you said four of them, right? Yeah. Who else was it? Oh, McCull- was McCullers an All Star? I don't remember. I know there were four. I don't. I have to pull it up and see who. But Altuve, Correa, uh, Bregman, and Brantley, I think. Bregman. I was Brantley's Bregman a, was hurt all year. I don't know. Uh, There's a fourth by camera who this. Brantley's not a. But anyways, uh, it, it's still uh, still funny that they can be good for baseball, but they're still too cowardly to face their peers at the All Star game. Uh huh. Yeah, that that that's that's pretty rich. Um, but speaking of the All Star game, shout out to that maid who called yeah, the police about all the, Thank the God guns and ammunition something. that. We we don't want to assume, and we're we're, we're thankful any uh, you know potential event w- was quelled by you know the brave act of that maid, but that that could have been bad. So I'm very glad that that we're not having. And what an insane story! I talk about that. <laughs> thought about immediately thought about the the Las Vegas shooting. Can you imagine? It's just horrific. I'm that's a terrifying yeah. story. Thank God. Yeah. That so, was the worded. Yeah, it's um, rare we talk about that and get good results. So Right, exactly. Usually it's it's uh, reactive, not proactive, so that's mm-hmm. pretty good. The other thing I wanted to talk about, and maybe this is a discussion for another episode because it could be a long discussion, which is about the how the name and image likeness, um, the new rules for that for college athletes going to change how quickly those athletes want out of college and into the pros in various sports, but especially baseball, where it's such a long road to the majors and get the ability to potentially make more money in college than you could as a minor leaguer and how many people it might, you know, keep out of the minor, you know, keep out of baseball entirely when they can do better in other sports. So that's a really interesting conversation I'd like to have at some point. Yep. And Ryan probably knows more about the, the name and image likeness, uh, where that stands, especially with uh, people in the draft, but it, it's it's a huge ramifications for the CBA, which didn't need any more on its plate <laughs> coming up in the fall. They they already had their their work cut out for them with the numerous issues they have to sort out. Everything to how the baseball is made is going to be discussed yep. in the CBA. So it's, gonna it, it's going to be quite the process. And uh, we said it episode one, we're on a midnight train to a lockout. But while baseball is being played, Let's talk about the Nats and how they played recently. We'll start in San Diego because that's probably where we're going to get more of our happy times if we can uh, acquire some happy times from the Nats road trip recently. They split in San Diego, and what was once thought to be the weak point of the team, which is the offense, they had a great trip in San Diego. They slashed 366, 412, 634 for an OPS above 1,000, which is rare for this lineup, especially uh, without Kyle Schorber and, and uh, maybe a couple of other pieces healthy or you know clicking at the same time. They had a great series in, in San Diego. Yeah, I mean, they faced some pretty good pitchers. They knocked out Yu Darvish early. They knocked out uh, Chris Paddock, who is not good. 
early. The offense was clicking on all cylinders. Things were going well. Trey Turner was playing great. Josh Bell was playing great. I mean, even Strubo Cabrera, who has a 14-game hit streak right now, was going well. You start Every- Castro. <laughs> um, excuse me, whatever his name is. <laughs> it was, it's pretty funny. I was you like, said did, did, Cabrera, we, though. did we pick up the Strubo Cabrera I mean, again and I missed it? I, I, uh, he's going to be a Nat. Yeah, he's yeah. going to be a Nat. That's I'm ready funny. for it. Bring it on. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's so like everything was going well. A CD's Esquire even, who's now in the midst of a three for his last 28, and he's still batting leadoff, but that's a different conversation. Who could have called that? Every... <laughs> Everything was going well. The Nats were poised to take three or four on the road from the Padres. You're like, damn, that's huge. Maybe this team's legit. But then they went up 8 nothing with Max Scherzer on the mound. A reliever came in in his first ever at-bat. He hits a grand slam. I don't even want to think about it. He hits a grand so slam. That's the second grand slam the Nationals given up to a pitcher this season, by the way. That's tied for the most in MLB history in the season. That's very embarrassing. Things just went south. Um, after the Nats blew a eight nothing lead, they've been outscored twenty seven to eight cents. That's not good. <laughs> That's yeah, but horrible. Like, what the hell happened? They, as you said, that the offense was looking fantastic in San Diego, and then they they get to San Francisco and just the bats completely like, cold. It's just like the thing that just bob bo- like just boggles my mind about this. The Padres' offense isn't that good. Okay, their offense or numbers are very, very inflated by Fernando Tatis. Their offense isn't that good. You should not blow an eight nothing lead against them. You shouldn't blow an eight nothing lead in general. And the thing that I just do not give out that game at all is Sam Clay pitched the top of the ninth inning in a tied game. Sorry, the bottom of the ninth inning in a tied game against the top of the order. Like, I just, I don't understand that when you have Brad Hand, who, by the way, has pitched in playoff games, who's an all-star, you got to go with your best there. And guess what? Sam Clay blew it. And guess what? He pitched against the Giants, and he blew it again. I just don't understand why he keeps pitching Sam Clay in these situations. And to me, blowing the 8 nothing lead was the dagger in this season. And they've been playing like it since. Because, you know, they got swept, but... It is that one of the things you wonder better. if the if the psychological impact of blowing that game is still lingering with them because they looked putrid in this series yeah. against San Francisco. And like and it was how they came back. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but like yes. they gave up a grand slam to a pitcher, <laughs> a relief pitcher in his, in his first, first at bat. At bat in the major, it was so bad. Oh, I had to borrow turn the gear off. from a teammate. <laughs> I turned it back on, but like when that happened, I had to turn the game off. I was like, I need a moment. I need a moment to gather myself. I have to I have to go like watch a little HGTV for a minute, <laughs> gather my thoughts. Yeah, that was hard to watch, and you hate to see you hate to see that happen. Period to your team, but man, did I feel for Max. It was like he just completely lost his his control. I don't know what happened to him in that inning because he had been cruising up until that point, and then somehow and you could see him like trying to rub the back of his head for sweat, like he couldn't get a grip on the baseball. I don't know what happened, but that was just absolutely brutal. I think that's really one of the the biggest impacts as to how the the rest of the stretch played out after that blown eight nothing lead. You have your ace on the mound, the guy that has been consistent. I mean, he's been your leader, your captain, and, and has held you together when you should have been falling apart. And he just you finally get him what he deserves. You get him an eight run lead, which he should be able to go the full nine and still not give up eight runs. And here he is giving up a grand slam to a relief pitcher in his first at bat. It's, it's jarring. I'm sure in based on numbers, like Ryan said, having been outscored 27 to eight since they blew the, the eight, nothing lead. I think it, it's, it was just jarring. It was kind of a, a wake up caller, maybe a reality check to the team that, Hey, we're, we're playing well, but we are, not without fault and we are uh you know it only takes one or two guys to to go down maybe a bad performance by max and a uh injury to shorbert to really expose how average of a baseball team they are yeah and you've got escobar hitting lead off which you know nothing personal but should not be hitting lead off or a contending club and those of you who are Baby Shark fans, I apologize in advance, but with Para, can we talk for a minute about Para? Like, he's got to be off the roster. This is insane. Yeah, 
I mean, when this team, um, when Schwarber comes back, when Stevenson comes back, by the way, like Stevenson, they just sent to AAA. Um, Para is an odd move. Yeah. Para isn't good. So like in the Giants series, okay, like if you get shut, you get shut down by Kevin Gosman, that's one thing. Kevin Gosman is one of the best pitchers in baseball. If it wasn't for Jacob DeGrom, he'd be a, uh, a heavy favorite for Cy Young. That's okay. Um, the other game, they, sh- they got shut down by um, Anthony Desilfani. Again, that's okay. But Ralapara dropped a ball, a routine fly ball. Just dropped it. This is during Leicester's start. Yes, this is during the first game in Leicester's start. Just straight up just dropped a routine uh, ground ball. I was like, Three okay. I'm sorry, excuse me, fly runs, ball. By the way. Yeah. Three on runs. And then he gets thrown out twice at home on two just god-awful base running mistakes that made no sense whatsoever. Did he just go through a stop sign from third base on, coach, too? On the first one he did, yes. He legit ran through a stop sign. I was line. listening to it on the radio because I was in the car for that game, and I was just like, why would why would, why would would Henley send him for that? And then I was like, there's no way. He didn't. And then the other one, he just goes on the ground ball. It hit the Brandon Crawford, by the way, who's – literally known for his defense. The man is one of the best defensive shortstops in baseball. Like, okay, yeah, that guy's not going to gun you out at home. And he did. And he cost him a lot of the runs because then later in the game, he grounded out with the bases loaded into a double play on the pitch out of the zone. And get, what was Davey do? He moves him up the next day. I seriously can't understand it. I get the nostalgia. I get it. You know me. I'm a, I am the, the biggest like nostalgia person in this podcast for sure. But You've got to get him off the team. He wasn't even doing I mean, there were a couple of nice hits. He's had a couple of nice things. It does not make up for the mistakes and he needs to not be on this roster anymore. I understand we have a real lack of depth right now with the injuries, but for God's sake. Like I'd rather I'd rather see you bring up a prospect. It's hard to do worse than what you're getting out of him right now. I think it really depends on, and Amanda, like you said earlier, what is this team trying to accomplish? If they are trying to legitimately contend, then he has no place on this roster. However, if they decide to sell, you're going to need someone like Gerardo Parra to sell tickets, kind of keep the team going through the rest of the season. It's the first time, in theory, they would be selling in quite a long time. So... You would need someone like that, and but at that point, you admit what this season is. So if Gerardo Power is on the team, it's because it should only be because the Nats have sold, and obviously we'll get to that as we uh, approach the the deadline. But with John Lester, it, it's kind of in the same boat. If you are trying to legitimately contend, he has no spot on this team, and. This recent start wasn't necessarily all as well. Obviously, we just talked about the the par era that just led to uh, uh, kind of everything unraveling. But the problem with Lester is he's not good enough to get out of those situations, mm-hmm. and, and that's he he's admitted to that himself. If you're not good enough to work out of jams, I mean you're you're just not a major league pitcher at that point. You can't guarantee a clean inning, whether it be uh, a an umpire's calls, your defense, or just your effectiveness on any given night. You have to be able to work out of jams, and Lester's saying he's not able to. He just doesn't have it anymore. Yeah, the fact that he even said that out loud into the world. Right. It's just like, <laughs> you want to... He's going to get the break to, to work it out, but, I mean, the writing's on the wall. It's got to be. Do you guys want to hear a really fun stat? I love stats. So John Lester, who, by the way, was signed as a innings eater, over his last four starts, he's thrown 13 innings. He's given up 25 runs in his That's last four starts. That's not a fun stat. Somehow <laughs> the Nationals are two and two in those, but he's given up 25 runs in his last four starts. His 5.54 ERA, if he had enough innings to qualify, would be the highest ERA in baseball. What's even better about that? Patrick Corbin has the third highest ERA in baseball. That's the, it's not a winning formula. When your team is built around pitching and you have a 5-5 ERA and another mid-fives, you're just not going to win baseball games. Wouldn't you rather he, just bring Rutledge up at this point? No, because he's not ready. Like Where the Nats are at right now, leave all your young guns down. Don't touch them. Let them continue developing, but... 
I genuinely believe that when um, Steven Strasburg is healthy, John Lester will be gone. I think he's filling in until then. The Nats know it. John Lester knows that this can't be enjoyable for him. It has to be embarrassing. He's been a pretty good major league pitcher, and, like, he's old. This happens. Father time catches everyone. You don't want to see people go out this sad. I had to watch Drew Brees on national television throw, like, eight interceptions in the playoffs to end his career. You don't want to go out sad. It's the worst thing you can do. And I really think we're watching him go out sad because this was probably his last start. Or whenever Steven Strasburg comes back, whoever knows when that will be. Yeah, I have to interject, though, because Joe Ross and Jan Gomes, uh, for that matter, have just hit the IL. Joe Ross, it, I believe it was elbow inflammation, so it hopefully shouldn't last too long. But that does open the door yet again for the Nats to kick the can down the road with a potential decision with six starting pitchers and all, obviously only five spots. How long is Lester's leash at this point? If you just had to make an educated guess. So the the one note about Joe Ross, there's notes about how the Nats were going to manage his workload this year. And I feel like that IL stint was a way to just manage his uh, stint, like manages his time just to miss a couple starts. So I'm not too worried about that. But that's the thing about John Lester, though. Like he's killing your bullpen. Listen to this. He went 2 2.2, 3.1, 5.2.1, 6.5, 3.2. He's not eating innings. He's killing your bullpen. It's kind of at the point where you're like, well, you know, a car accident's happening on the mound and you can't look away. You kind of just let a half of them keep going out there. But can you afford to keep throwing these games away? Because him, Fetty, 50-50% of time, don't know how long he's going to go. Patrick Corbin, none of them are eating innings. Like, how are you going to work around that? Like, you ask how long his leash is going to be, they're honestly just going to have to keep letting go out there until he gives up, like, eight runs or, like, throws 90 pitches because he threw 80 pitches and didn't even get through three innings in his last start. He threw 83 and 3.1 against the Padres. He, like, can't get guys out quick either. He's devastating to this bullpen. So the question is, how long is his leash? Well, at this rate, two innings because he's throwing about 100 pitches just to get through there. And I guess the question of how long it's leashes has to do with, do you mean in each game or do you mean in general? I just meant on, like how on many the more? team. Yeah, I don't think it can be much longer. I mean, you just said you, you made a point about leave your guys down in the minors, let them develop, don't mess with them. But unless you're unless you're going to sell and punt on the season, you can't let Lester keep going out there. It's not just even the the guaranteed loss every fifth day. It's what he does to the bullpen. As you just said, Ryan, you can't have your bullpen devastated every fifth day because that affects the days when Lester's not starting. So I just don't know how you can keep him on the team. I mean, you know, congratulations on a great career, but you, you can't keep doing this. Yeah. At this point, I would just let Jeffrey Rodriguez take his spot in the rotation until everyone gets back healthy, trade him to Boston. And I'm sure they, they would like to have the, the pitching depth and obviously they're in contention and maybe he can, uh, rise to the occasion or what, whatever. But as far as the, the rest of the giant series, there, there wasn't much to write home about. It was a pretty uh, rough, rough series to watch. The bats absolutely went cold, which we alluded to earlier. Can they make up the, the now six game deficit is really what it comes down to. We talked about the stretch a couple weeks ago, the, the 17 games leading up to the break. Well, here we are. We said they needed to win nine, ten games. They certainly did not come close to that, but they're still within striking distance. Can they make up these six games? So that's going to be the biggest question for the Nationals front office. They're going to say yes. The Nationals do have a easier schedule in the second half. The problem is the entire Annalise has an easier schedule in the second half because Annalise sucks. The Mets do play seven games with the Giants in the second half. They do have a good amount of double headers in there as well they're going to get healthier um they have a lot of guys who are hurt so i don't think the nats can make these games up like everyone's pointing to the injuries but the problem is the nats weren't winning or really in contention when they're healthy either like if you look at the season they're bad in april they're bad in may they've been pretty awful in july they're two and nine in july they had a good i think 20 some odd games in june that got them back in it if you're you know bad for 70 games and good for 20 
the 20 seen as an outlier. I don't think this roster has enough, especially with the way this starting rotation is, to catch the Mets. I just think they're going to hover around 500, and it won't be enough because the Mets are going to get healthier, and they'll probably only get to like 85 wins, but I don't think the Nats can get to 85 wins. Yeah, and again, I hate to sound like a broken record here, but it comes back to what are they trying to accomplish? <laughs> like, can they contend for this division? Maybe. This division sucks. So, you know, if the Mets falter and they get bit by the injury bug the way the Nats have been and the Nats get healthy and then the Mets don't, you know, maybe they can win this division. And But these games, you know, everybody does point to those injuries, and that's it's a legitimate excuse isn't the right word, but it's an explanation. But also, these, it doesn't matter why you lost these games. You still lost, and making them up is, is the exact same task, whether you lost them due to injury or, or something else. So I don't know. I just keep coming back to the idea of what if they can win the division unless they have made themselves into a contender, and that is, frankly, not with this roster. Like, you're going to have to go out and make some major changes and get some guys who aren't currently in the building. So I don't know. It, it, to me, it just... It, does it matter if they win this division if the winner of this division is lousy and isn't going anywhere in the playoffs? Absolutely. And you guys know where I stand. I've been out on the season. I've had uh, plenty of foresight regarding uh, the, the Nats this year, so I am still out. I will be out unless I am absolutely proven otherwise. And, you know, we, we've talked a lot about the Nats' losses and missed opportunities, but they did have one major major win today and that is they drafted Brady House mm -hmm. with the 11th pick in the first round of the draft which kicked off tonight uh, it goes through Wednesday so we will uh, have our official draft recap on Wednesday and we have William Bohr of MLB Pipeline joining us again to talk Nats and all the other picks some notable ones Henry Davis the catcher from Louisville he went first overall to the Pirates. Jack Leiter, big righty out of Vandy. He went to the Rangers second overall. Marcelo Meyer, who a lot of people thought was going to go first overall. He's a shortstop out of high school. He went to the Red Sox fourth overall, which is absolute steal. And the big one, in my opinion, Kamar Rocker, who a lot of people wanted to fall to the Nets. He fell, but he fell to the Mets at 10. So a little bit interesting there, but just quick takeaways. Ryan, we'll start with you. Quick takeaways from the Nats and a couple of uh, the other fallouts from, from the first round of the draft. Yeah, I mean, we, we knew this draft was going to be wild to start. There wasn't a clear consensus pick for number one. It was kind of jumbled. Everyone was wondering where the high school shortstops were going to go. There were concerns about their price tag. There's concerns about Kumar's price tag, also some concerns about his um, drop in velocity and some command issues he had. So we saw some pretty big shakeups. Um, incredibly annoying that the Red Sox got Meyer at four. That was an absolutely fantastic pick. You pair him with Jeter Downs, they're going to have a yep. pretty good potential middle of the infield combo going um, three years, four years down the road, depends when uh, Meyer comes up. But getting the Brady House, that's a great pick. I was a little worried that the Nats were going to get stuck with one of, like, you know, um, Madden or Bednar, guys who are kind of questionable as pitchers who kind of profile more as a reliever. I wanted Brady House since last year, so I am ecstatic that he fell. And looking at his profile he's 6'4 215 for a shortstop that's pretty massive especially for a high schooler he has 60 grade power 60 grade arm 50 grade speed um 50 grade hitting overall he's also a 60 grade prospect overall that's out of 80 60 is rather high that's fantastic um he's been described as a more athletic joey gallo he's also been described as a potential chris bryant so those are pretty good comps um especially I like to see it <laughs> especially you get close to what chris bryant did because chris bryant was like the high school player of the year the minor league player of the year the mvp like pretty good um uh, that's <laughs> that's a pretty high comp poor meyer though <laughs> meyer's offensive comp is christian yelich and his defensive comp is uh brandon crawford just setting up the kid for failure but <laughs> yeah i mean this is a really really great pick they're going to have to pay for him. Same with the Mets and Kumar. Both of them pro projected to go top seven, top eight, and fell. You're going to have to pay him as such. So you're going to have to go a little bit above what that pick was supposed to be. Um, Brady House said he was in talk with the Nationals. 
leading up to the draft. So the Nats know that, and that's not going to be an issue. He said his intent is to sign with the Nationals. So welcome to D.C., Brady. I'm pretty excited to see him three, four years on the road. Yes, absolutely. Um, this is the first position player they've taken since Keeboom, so let's hope it works out better than Keeboom did. <laughs> so, I don't know. This is one of those ones where um, you've got some controversy because, of course, there's always controversy. People are saying, oh, my God, they drafted a shortstop. You know, this is, you know, this means they don't want to pay Trey. And obviously, as you just said, Ryan, we're looking four or five years down the road before this kid is is going to be ready for the majors. And hopefully we still have Trey then. But I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, you know, the Nats being the Nats, if Trey is no longer with us by that point. I don't even want to say it out loud. Apparently the kid is a big Trey Turner fan, though, which is also fun to see. He talked a lot about how much. He's a big Braves fan. Like, he's yeah. from Georgia, so that's expected. Right. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he did say he's been watching Turner since he came up, and he's super excited. So, you know, they always say the right thing. <laughs> you can't be like, oh, damn, I don't want to play for the Nats. I'm a Braves fan. Anyway, I'm really excited about this pick. Um, yeah, I mean, what is there to say? You never know what prospects are going to work out, even first-round prospects, but I've got high hopes. Yeah. Uh, like Ryan said earlier, uh, best friend of the pod, Matt Wyrick, uh, reported that Brady House does intend to sign with the Nats despite his commitment to Tennessee and the slot value for the 11th pick is just above four and a half million. So we'll see hopefully when that deal gets done, but there's a lot of draft coverage going on the next couple of days. So I encourage you guys to keep up with that. Check out the site uh, at half street high heat for more draft coverage, a lot of baseball and a lot of sports going on, but you know what else is going on? Manscaped. Manscaped is always there for you all summer long, all year long. Use our promo code HSHH20 for 20% off and free shipping on anything. The performance package 4.0 is what I'm pushing because it, it has so much. You get such a great value, and it's already a deal, and you get 20% off. Like, wh what's not to like? Their fourth-generation performance package includes the brand-new Lawnmower 4.0 if an athlete baseball, soccer, football, an Olympic athlete, whoever, they treat their body like royalty. Why not treat your body like royalty as well and use the Lawnmower 4.0 and all of Manscaped's products? Again, use our promo code HSHH20 for 20% off and free shipping. Do right by your balls and join the 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped. Again, by going to manscaped.com using our promo code HSHH20, you can do yourself a favor, and you deserve it. Take care of yourself. All right, we're moving on. We're going to uh, do – it's not quite a draft, but it's a little pick em like we like to do, and we're going to pick our first half award winners. Obviously, the All-Star break's coming up, so we're roughly around halfway through the season. It's – some things have played out like we expect. Some things have not played out like we expect. So we're just going to do Manager of the Year, Cy Young, and MVP for both AL and NL. So, uh, Ryan, why don't you kick us off? Who's your AL Manager of the Year? Yeah, so there's a couple routes I could go with this, but it's pretty obvious. Um, Alex Cora in Boston, he's the AL Manager of the Year for me. The Red Sox are rather good. They do not have a good pitching staff. But their offense is absolutely stupid, and the bullpen's pretty good. Sorry, the starting rotation isn't good. Their bullpen is really good. They have, like, four guys with an ERA below 2-8 and who've made, like, 30 appearances, whatever it was. Um, very good job there. He's going to win manager of the year, which is going to be pretty funny because, like, the whole role he played in the whole cheating scandal thing, and now he's won the awards. But he's my AL manager of the year. Interesting. I mean, you can't really argue against that, uh, surprising, uh, based on the whole Astros cheating scandal and whatnot. But, Amanda, who's your pick for AL Manager of the Year? You know, I wanted to go with Boston, but I just I just can't do it. <laughs> I just can't do it. I can't stand Alex Cora. I hate that he got away with what he got away with and only got one a one-year suspension, which turned out to be the weird COVID year. So that just pisses me off. So I'm going to go with Kevin Cash. Um, I think the Rays, the Rays are just one of those teams that you always feel like shouldn't be as good as they are, but they somehow pull it off. And, you know, they're hanging right there. Um, they're hanging right there with Boston. They're only two games back and uh, they've won, I think, six out of their last 10. 
but they're still they're still hanging right in there. I think that Tampa is in a really really difficult division, and you know I I still think it looks like Boston's gonna take the AL East, but Tampa's not out of it yet. Yeah, agreed. Uh, I am gonna go with Alex Cora as well, mainly because I didn't expect the Red Sox to be as good as they were. I expected the Rays to be good, maybe not as good as they were last year, but still expected them to be good. Um, so it's not completely surprising. I am completely floored by how good of a manager Alex Cora seems to be. I'm not up to date with Red Sox moves and, and transactions and, and whatnot, but just looking at the results, the years with him versus the years without him, it kind of speaks for himself. So I'm going to go with Alex Cora in the AL and then switching over to the NL, a couple different ways I can go, but one really stands out. And it's really surprising because we saw a lot of him while he's with Philly, and that's Gabe Kapler with the Giants. The Giants are a team that should not be as good as they are. And, you know, you, you like to credit it to the, the manager, but they are so well-rounded. They have a great pitching staff, great bullpen. They play great defense, and they're just a well-rounded lineup. Again, maybe that's credit to the GM or who the the – coaches or whatever, but the manager gets credit and the manager gets a blame. Right now he gets the credit and it's Gabe Kapler for me in San Francisco. Amanda, who's your NL manager? Uh, here? Mine is the same. Um, yep. <laughs> I, I just am so surprised by, I mean, we just obviously saw them whoop our asses, but um, I'm so surprised by the Giants this year because nobody was talking about them. It was all about the Padres and the Dodgers and it was all, you know, this all we talked about preseason it was all any of the analysts talked about and they were just kind of forgotten and they've been you know sitting on top of that division and they are so much better than I expected and I don't feel like manager of the year should just be a question of who's the surprisingly best team um you know the Red Sox are one of those as well where you're sort of surprised by how good they've been but I just I, I feel like San Francisco is doing something in an odd numbered year that they shouldn't be yeah Usually they're only good in the even numbered years. Yeah. yeah, they're they're fantastic, and uh, I think they're I think they're only one game over the Dodgers, so you know it could go either way. We're only halfway through the season. There's a lot of baseball left to be played, but if we're giving this out as a midseason award, it's got to be Kapler. Yep, agreed. Brian, what about you? Yeah, you know, I was thinking of Kapler, but I'm gonna go in a different direction. Um, I didn't really think about it that hard. Dave Martinez, isn't it? Oh God. Um, <laughs> Gabe Kapler, he always starts off hot, but then finds a way to self-destruct the whole team. But I'm sticking in in Elise. It's not Dave Martinez, but I'm going Luis Rojas just for all of the injuries that they have gone through this year. The fact that they've been above 500 this entire season and they're in first place. Yes, they are only in first place because they're in the worst division in baseball, but they did set a record for the most players on the opening day roster on the IL that derails most teams and by most i mean that derails like 29 teams if you're having 16 of your 26 opening day players on the il but they found they found a way to keep winning and just because of that i i gotta go with them it's a great pick the if you're just going off the the things you shouldn't just go off of like wins and losses it might not tell the whole story but luis rojas has done a really great job with the mets and to think uh, they almost well they did hire Carlos Beltran instead and then that we all know how that that turned out. All right, moving on to Cy Young. Amanda, why don't you start us off with your AL Cy Young pick? Uh, Carlos Rodon. He's been such you know. You he, just had to bring him up. <laughs> had to do it. Had to do it. Had to do it. Yeah, he's um you know the NL Cy Young race. I think we're all going to have the same answer. There's really no race in, in the NL. <laughs> right. Um, but Rodon has just been such a shock this year. I mean, he's, I think the last time I looked at his numbers, he was like a 206 ERA. It's just nuts what he's doing. I mean, obviously there have been lower ERAs, but it's not something you would have expected from him given his history. And, uh, I don't know. He's, he's just been one of those guys where you look at him and you think is, I, I looked around the AL and thought, is there anybody else that you would argue? I mean, Otani's been super exciting, but as far as just straight pitching performance, I don't think he competes with Rodon. So he's my pick. Ryan, do you have the same? This one I was kind of thinking about. I was between Cole for a while, but then Cole got roughed up by mm -hmm. um, Boston. 
that Braziria up. He did have an absolute masterclass, but yeah, I gotta go with Rodon right now. Yeah, you mentioned, and we'll, we'll get to the NL Cy Young in a second because it, it is the Jacob Degrom Award. But uh, it, it's it's as it stands now, it's really kind of Rodon's award to lose in, in my mind. The I guess biggest competition. Obviously, Garrett Cole exists, and, and he's a threat, but if the Yankees are just going to be 500, then Cole might m- miss out on some votes. Lance Lynn, who's Rodon's mm-hmm. teammate, might be his biggest competition, so it's a matter of those kind of voters. Do they split the votes between Rodon and Lynn if they're neck and neck? But Rodon has definitely been the surprise because he was a top prospect that just could never get it going. The White Sox decided to give it one more go, bring him back on a one-year, like $5 million deal that the Nats absolutely should have taken him out. about Lester? But, yeah, it's (laughs) in my mind, it's Rodon's award to lose, especially since the White Sox are uh, leading the NL, or excuse me, the AL Central. Um, Just for, uh, you know, to be thorough, I'm, I assume we're all on Jacob Degrom for the yes, NL Cy Young. Yes, this is the Jacob Degrom, Degrom NL Cy Young Award. Yeah. yeah, Ryan, same with you. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, D- just you know, it had to be thorough. Right, right. It had to be thorough. All right, last one, MVP. Ryan, back to you. Who's your? Uh, let's let's switch it up. Let's go NL MVP. Um. In MVP right now, I am going with Tatis Jr. He is on pace to have one of the best offensive seasons for a shortstop ever he's on pace to have over an 11 war over 50 home runs 140 rbis and 40 some odd stolen bases and the fact that there's a big pitch big push right now to get him to face the baseball he is going to be the nl mvp and it's not going to be very close if he keeps that up jacob Degrom is the only other one in that conversation right now it is them two and the rest of the Didn't league have um, to take my pick <laughs> but the issue with the Grom is these voters are not the youngest people. <laughs> these voters are going to go, but his innings, and that's going to kill Jacob the Grom. He's going to have to get to over 175 innings if he's going to want to have a shot at MVP. And I don't think the Grom gets over 150 innings this year. That's not his fault, but that's going to kill his MVP shot. And I think Tatis is unanimous MVP. Man. Definitely. I'm going to go with DeGrom as my MVP pick. I think it would just, just because it's a fun, it, it, I think you're, you have a very valid point about the innings and there may be some of those voters who just feel like, oh, without more innings, we can't do it. But that's always the challenge for pitchers because they only play every fifth day. You know, can they be considered really the most valuable player on their team? And normally I would say no, but I think DeGrom is an exception. He is just such a, he's such a superlative player. Like when he's, when he's on the mound, he is dominating every single time he's out there. I think he's one of the few pitchers you could legitimately call an MVP. And I think it would be, it would, I can't with Tatis just because of the errors. I don't know how you can give a guy an MVP when he's leading the league in errors. Because MVP is an offensive award. I get it, but it's just one of those like leaps of no one, in your mouth. No one cares about defense. Like, everyone says Trey Turner is an elite, but he has, like, 15 errors. You know what I mean? Like, it's an offensive award. Same with Gold Glove. Gold Glove is not a defensive award. It's an offensive award. Yeah, I hear you. I just, for me, personally, like, if I had a vote, which obviously I don't, but if I did, it would, the, being the guy with the most errors in the league would just make it impossible for me to vote him MVP. So, I'm going to Grom. Yeah, I- both the NL and AL, it's a two-horse race, and it's a matter of can you stay healthy and obviously can you continue the production. If you can do both, then it's a toss-up. History tends to show us that one of the, the, the options will fall off, whether due to injury or just production. In the NL, like you guys have just laid out, it's Tatis in the ground. I think it's going to be Tatis. However, if I was casting my vote, I would give it to DeGrom despite the innings and, and, you know, whatever else would be <laughs> someone's lame argument for uh, a case against Jacob deGrom MVP. But what deGrom is doing is otherworldly. He is on pace for the best season we've ever seen ever from a starting pitcher and some, you know, boomer or some uh, like baseball fans going to, 
pull up a Walter Johnson season or whatever. No, Jacob DeGrom, this is the best season. If he could, obviously continues, this is the best season uh, we've ever seen from a starting yeah, pitcher. Yeah, thus far. Absolutely. So it's, it's going to happen. Like, just, just prepare yourself now. Because the last two pitchers who won MVP were Verlander and Kershaw. Verlander had over 250 innings, and Kershaw got to 200. He's going to have to get close. Like, you have yeah. to know the voters. Yeah, no, I know, which is why I just yeah. said I think it'll be Tatis, especially with the the Padres' success, but I would give it to DeGrom. As far as the AL, I mean, you guys know where I'm going. He, he, he was my pick. I'm going Shohei Otani. It's, it's got to be. It's no discount to, to Vladdy. Vladdy's been awesome. I am a Vladdy fan, but we've talked about Shohei Otani. We've gushed over him for, for weeks now. What he's doing is insane. And if he finishes with a 3-5 ERA, how many rotations in baseball would take a 3-5 ERA on their team? As uh, plus, plus 33 home runs basically, in the first half. Yeah, basically all of them, and not to mention the offensive production, too. It's insane. I agree with what Ryan uh, said last episode, the episode before that, that I don't think he does this for certainly not the, the, uh, you know, the life of his career, but for much longer. So we got to enjoy it, and you got to reward it too. It's absolutely Shohei Otani to me right now. Yeah, there's no, there's no question. It's Shohei Otani. He's. I just looked up his numbers um, before we did this segment. He's a three nine WAR at the plate and one and five WAR on the mound. I mean, it, it. What can you even say? It's nobody does this. He's like a unicorn. He's absolutely amazing. I know I was gushing about him an episode or two ago. He's just so much fun to watch. I, you know, I would love, I would love to see him on my team, but even though he's not, uh, he's like, anytime I can get him on my television, I'm going to watch. He is far and away the best player in the world right now. I mean, obviously DeGrom's a better pitcher. Like you could say other players are better at specific things, but as far as like, who's the best baseball player right now, it's Otani. Agreed. Yeah. So, um, baseball needs something to captivate the national audience and baseball actually has it this year and it's both of these mvp races if everyone stays healthy mm-hmm. jacob Degrom, tatis vlad jr and otani anytime either of them do anything look who posts it look how many people are liking it on sports center bleach report everything it's fantastic for baseball but again it's not very close I think we're going to see two unanimous MVPs this year. And if Otani keeps us up, it's going to be him. What he's doing right now is just absolutely absurd. He is the best thing to happen to baseball in a very, very, very long time. Major League Baseball is actually marketing him rather well. Him and Tatis both, very big surprise. Um, and, yeah, it's Otani. It's not even close. I love yeah. him. There is, there is harmony in the ranks. We all agree. It's it's a very rare occurrence on this show. <laughs> it was hasn't happened since Jacob Degrom. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know that was that was so long ago. <laughs> oh man, so that does it for our first half award winners. Obviously, a lot of baseball left to be played, so we'll see how these races shake out come season's end. But like Ryan said, it should be a very, very entertaining race. So before we get out of here, let's wrap up with our one big thing. As always, what do you guys got? Um, I think mine would just be watch the Home Run Derby. Pretty much everything else at the All-Star break sucks. Sucks might be a strong word. It's boring to me. But the Home Run Derby is the best thing that happens. You're telling me you're not going to watch the celebrity softball game? <laughs> I think that's on right now. Is it? <laughs> I think so. Okay, see, so that's how interesting. Damn it. I'm missing the celebrity softball game. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, the the Home Run Derby is the coolest thing. It's the coolest event at any all-star festivities in any sport. It's phenomenal. If you don't watch it, I don't know what's wrong with you, but do yourself a favor and check it out, especially because our own Juan Soto will be there, uh, probably losing in the first round to Shohei Otani. But we'll see what happens. Yep. Ryan, what do you got? Um... Second half is coming. It's a clean slate for everyone. And it's going to be really exciting for baseball, especially for the Nats. It's going to see what they can do coming out of the break. I still feel like the front office isn't 100% committed to anything. But mainly, just enjoy it because there's going to be some really good storylines. Like I said, the MVP race in both leagues, if the Yankees can come back, 
the Astros doing their thing, the NL Central. Um, there's a lot of really, really good storylines in baseball right now, and it's going to be really fun to watch in the second half, and I'm excited. Absolutely. My one big thing is to circle back to Brady House and just how excited Nats fans are about a prospect. Just imagine a world where we get even more exciting prospects <laughs> due to selling at the deadline. It can be exciting. You can still have a vested interest in your team. You can have guys you root for and follow their path to the majors. Meanwhile, your team can still be competitive in 2022 based on people like Juan Soto, Trey Turner still a contract, Josh Bell still under contract, hopefully Steven Strasburg and Patrick Corbin rebounding. You can still be competitive in 2022. I understand everyone's feeling towards Max. I, I love Max Scherzer, but it would be such a, a, a welcome uh, event if we turned the already best free agent signing in MLB history into a future post Max Scherzer based on the prospects we get would get in a trade for him. It, it would just, you know, warm my heart that Max would go out, well, seemingly go out at least on, on this contract from his uh, Nats tenure, giving us the, the best present possible in the form of great prospects. Maybe, uh, maybe even a Jeter Downs who was mentioned earlier, maybe someone, uh, Ryan, give me another prospect you're gushing over. Um, Nolan German, German, oh, excuse uh, me. Yeah. Yeah. From, uh, from, uh, St. Louis, St. Yeah. Louis. Yeah. That, that would be another one. CJ Abrams. Yeah. Pair, pair him with, uh, Brady house. There you go. <laughs> there, there's your left side of, of the infield. I mean, there's the, the possibilities are endless. Max Scherzer is going to have a plethora of suitors should he decide to get traded because obviously he has 10-5 rights. Just be open to it. It can still be exciting. You can still root for your team. There's nothing wrong with that. You're not giving up on them if you decide to, or you want them to sell. Just my one big thing. This would be a good time for you to plug your uh, last article on the website. <laughs> Well, I was about to plug the website, but then, uh, you know, you, you interject and, and tell me how to do my job, Amanda. <laughs> I just meant that particular article, yeah. which was very germane to the conversation you were we were just having. Speaking of the website, be sure to check out HalfStreetHighHeat.com all week long. We basically have articles coming out every single day. I mean, Ryan's getting in on the action. He did a great article, if I do say so myself, on Victor Robles this past week kind of outlining what we expected from Robles versus what we're getting from Robles. And it's a very, very good read. I highly recommend you check that out. Matt's pumping out articles about the deadline, and he just published one today about the draft. We got the Derby All-Star game coming up. Obviously, like we, we mentioned, the trade deadline coming up. There's going to be a lot of content on the website that you guys are going to want to make sure you check out. Obviously, follow us on Twitter and the show the main account at half street high heat on Twitter. So you can make sure you're up to date with all the latest happenings. You guys got anything else before we go? I do not. Ryan, you good? Let's go play some baseball. Let's go play some baseball. I'm excited for the Derby. I am. I love the Derby. Love the Derby. All right, guys, I'll talk to you uh, on Thursday for our draft episode. In the meantime, let's go Nats. There's a new breeze blowing off the banks of the Potomac A new team's mowing down the ranks of their opponents The Nationals are smashing balls so that the commentator Who has the cause has passed the wall to see you later Let's go Nats We've got a game to play We're gonna win today Let's go Bye.
By the early light of dawn, well you can see they're running scared Cause the kinds of bombs we're launching are bursting in the air Tell the Library of Congress that they might not want to look Cause we're putting curly W's in every book Let's go Nats, we've got a game to play Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.